0: I'm already looking for candidates, got anybody in mind?
1: Yeah, Kirk Bankstead, I think he'd be awesome. For the I, Supreme Court, yep. obviously. Like, is he, he
0: was, a law license? I was gonna does, does he pass I'll sing my
2: way that? through, I'll <laughs> sing my way through the dissents.
1: <laughs> hey folks, let's spend some time with friends up north. Pat Kreitlow of Up North News is on Lake Wissota. Kristen Bry of As Wisconsin is along Lake Michigan. And up on Lake Minocqua is Kirk Bankstead of the Minocqua Brewing Company. Wherever you are, welcome, because you're up north. Well, hey, welcome to the cabin. You've made it up north. Nice to have you here. I'm Pat Crightlow, managing editor of upnorthnewswi.com. And I'm Krista Bry, and you can find my short political comedy videos at As Goes Wisconsin. And I'm Kirk Bankstead at the Minocqua Brewing Company. All right, and we join you live every Wednesday evening at 7 on Devil Radio, News Talk 92.7, and play it back over the weekend, and we post it at upnorthpodcast.com, and our email address is info at upnorthpodcast.com, our guest in our second half hour, uh, and she'll join us a little bit before that, is Attorney Christine Bremer. And uh, we're going to discuss how we can make our courts and our judicial elections a little less political, starting with not letting the politicians make so much trouble when filling judicial vacancies in the first place that's coming up a little bit later, along with the legalities of proof of vaccination, uh, whether from your employers or, or from elsewhere. But before we get to all those uh, meaty matters, we are just thrilled to report that uh, the weather up north is finally no longer looking like, you know, Nanook oh. of the north or anything oh. else that Eskimos are used to. Uh, spring is finally arriving in the Northwoods, Kirk. And <laughs> you, lucky dog, I, unlike some of us who are you know, basically locked into our home offices still, you get to be on the open road again.
2: Yeah. So, so Pat, I've had to do a lot of driving around because I'm trying to get my beer, you know, sell my beer in like local stores and stuff. So I am seeing the Northwoods right now, and it is glorious. And I just wanted to, you know, I thought before we got into the news, you know, I wanted to kind of share and maybe ask you guys, you know, the same question. Like my favorite stretch of road, I think in Wisconsin is in the Northwoods is going on highway 70 West uh, from Minocqua through Fifield. Then you go through like the Lakota Ray tribe eventually, like in Sawyer County, and I'm telling you, the trees, uh, just that kind of a canopy over the road, uh, going all the way to Siren, you know, before you hit the Minnesota border, is just, I think, some of
1: the prettiest stretch of Wisconsin you can get. Uh, what do you think, Pat? What do you think? You know the. It's tough it's like picking you know a favorite child or something like that there's so many great stretches and the first one that came to mind uh, for me was uh was actually Knapp hill on i-94 in dunn county because uh that was kind of the the gateway when i would be going back and forth between you know parents one was in minnesota one was in eau claire and you know knap hill is just you know something gorgeous to see every fall there's no lack of uh of beautiful northern roads I'm going to cheat a little bit on the question and tell you that one of the most beautiful stretches of road in Wisconsin in my life was when they expanded highway 29 to four lanes, because <laughs> in the in the early years of, of uh, our relationship, you know, I, I married a farm girl from Manitowoc County and we'd always take highway 10 across the state. And because 29 was called bloody 29 back then, because there were so many crashes <laughs> to be able to finally move from a two lane where you had to slow down all the time for an Oldsmobile or whatever and get on to 29, that was one beautiful stretch of road for entirely different reasons. Um, Kristen, you're from the Wisconsin Rapids area. You don't lack for pretty roads.
3: Well, no, I I mean, I grew up in Madison and then I spent last year in Wisconsin Rapids where we weren't really doing much last year. And so I feel like I have like a new uh, mindset now being an adult living in back in Wisconsin to explore all of these because I didn't when I left originally in 2003 I was just got my driver's license and so I feel like so far the prettiest drive I've had was when I moved from Wisconsin Rapids to Milwaukee and it was October Mm -hmm. and taking 43 and all the leaves were changing. Mm-hmm. And so, like, like the every like, and it just felt like I think it was also nostalgia because it was like a new chapter in my life. And I was moving to a new city and I was excited about all of that. But just literally seeing all of the colors in like the ripe of fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was going south, so I can only imagine what it looked like if I had gone even further north.
1: Yeah, I don't, for all this talk of leaf peepers, you know, in the Northeast and everything, I you're hard pressed to beat this area of the country. You know, in fall, almost any road that you take is 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 just gorgeous. So, Kirk, I hope the the road trip was successful. I'm, I'm sure you talked to a lot of folks. We'll we'll talk about in our in our little live commercials about our day jobs later about uh, the trials and tribulations of a man selling beer <laughs> nice, door man. to door almost. Um, but as as we turn to other matters that that happened during the week we have to take note that uh, vaccinations for COVID-19 have slowed down, which is not entirely unexpected, but has certainly done so uh, more abruptly than folks were th- thinking before the pause in the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which is you know back on now. But uh, our Jonathan Sadowski for UpNorthNewsWI.com uh, covered a Wisconsin Health News uh, webinar where health experts you know talked about the need to have people, you know, feel better about, especially getting that second dose, Kristen, because you were, you were noticing that, you know, a, a lot of people are trying to stop up and get that message out to get that second dose.
3: I actually just put out a video today about my experience of getting the second dose on Monday. And so I knew that some people had gotten symptoms pretty severely, not severely, but like felt nauseous and kind of the whole gamut versus some of my friends and people I've talked to who felt like next to nothing. I got, I think I got lucky on the scale as I had a pretty bad headache uh, and some body aches and stuff, but it was still all, all in. Well,
1: don't sell yourself short. I, I saw the video you put together. You look like hell and, oh, and, and yet you were, you were able to pull it together, you know, to get some work done on our behalf to make some other up North news products. But your message at the end was perfectly apt about, about hangovers.
3: Yeah. So basically my experience, which was, what was really funny is that both my experience of feeling like I've had way worse hangovers than what my symptoms to the second dose of the vaccine were. Uh, I don't know if that says more about the vaccine or it says about me and my drinking habits, but we'll just keep going. Uh, and, (laughs) but also the thing that was even funnier was the fact that I had tweeted out asking people, do you take Tylenol? Do you not take Tylenol. And they respond. I got a ton of responses, and so many of the responses of what you should do reminded me of how you cure a hangover. It was like, oh, <laughs> eat faux, eat like drink Pedialyte, like all of these things that Pedia-like. are just like oh,
1: the answer is, to everything. I, <laughs> I saw that water bottle. Well, I, water bottle is maybe the wrong word. That that. Water tower that you the guzzler? You, yeah, is that normal for you or
3: I don't know. No, that's what that's a that's a Debbie Bry purchase. It's like I think it's like 64 ounces. Uh oh, and it's it's a beast. And Kirk, but you yours, know that you've drank enough water if you finish it.
1: Kirk, I can't remember. You you got your shots and I don't recall you saying it was a, a my dude, year. my armpits hurt. That's the only thing. <laughs> that's it why like, we didn't You're the only that. person that's I've heard right. with that
2: complaint. Yeah. My armpits hurt. I was like, I had mono back in college and I felt like like the same, like my lymph nodes were like expanding or something. I didn't like it very much, but you know, what's the hashtag? Like it's worth it. I think it's hashtag worth it. I mean, it's worth again, it.
1: Whether not just from catching, you know, COVID and dying, which is, you know, reason enough, but catching COVID and feeling as miserable as people feel or having the long haul symptoms that uh, are still going on for folks or giving it to somebody else who isn't as healthy as you and dying. So yeah, you get that. Um, didn't you say Kristen, the Milwaukee bucks were kind of doing their part too to, to help out.
3: So yes, the Milwaukee Bucks announced, I think
1: yesterday,
3: I think their official statement was uh, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Milwaukee Health Department have partnered to bring a mobile vaccination site to the Pfizer Forum on Sunday, May 2nd, where any eligible fan attending the Bucks game can receive their first dose of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. And my immediate reaction is, well, what if you're an eligible non-fan? Like what if you just show like roll in with like a LeBron nice jersey? Nice are trouble, nice trouble you're making. Are they be like ah yeah. oh, sorry fans <laughs> well, only? I'm sorry,
1: what's that Timberwolves jersey? Get that out of here. You don't <laughs> like, no shot for not you. Not for
3: you. Sorry, you got to. it do works Buster that man. way. I
1: I I think eligible non fans would have would have been welcome too, but I mean oh, that would be dirty to roll up in a jersey if you're
2: getting a free vaccine at, at the Buck Stadium. That'd be dirty. So dirty here's play. where you go
1: with that is is you get the mascots involved. You get the Chicago Bull. You know, mascot to, to show up and you see if, uh, you know, if Bango will, will let him in and still give him a shot for, you know, I, w- I would say you'd give him that first and then you give him the boot, you know, and say, get out of here. But you, you got you to gotta help out friends where, wherever you can. Uh, other news that took place up north this weekend, literally the Joint Finance Committee, that is the legislature's uh, main budget writing committee, uh, held a hearing up in Rhinelander this week to take public testimony. The thing to me that's a real shame about this is, look, it's one thing that they didn't have any hearings in the biggest population centers. Part of that was due to COVID restrictions, but part of it was political as well. And while they had a good turnout in Rhinelander, the fact that they ended very early because there weren't any more speakers just tells you you know, that that they needed to do these in places where people could come talk about, you know, the, the the things that mattered to them. And Kirk, you took note of of just a few of the things that people were asking for in Rhinelander this week.
2: Yeah, I I mean I live up there, so I asked some of my friends, you know, to go and and, and give me the feedback. So, you know, ultimately uh, they talked about things like PFAS, which is a real big problem up in Rhinelander and uh, in other places uh, in Wisconsin. Um, they talked about basically in general i'm not going to go through the litany it was from what i heard it was kind of like lots of folks like schools mayors uh folks who care about clean water said we need state funds to help us out uh and and a lot of and 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 then there was and and that the unfortunate part was is like a lot of these folks on the committee were on their phones uh they were they left uh they went behind a curtain just to chill out and so from one of my friends who was at the, at the, at the hearing, he's like, it was like the plebeians or the peasants like begging for money uh, from like the royalty who was like, not, not really caring. And he's like, this doesn't seem like democracy to me. It
1: it can really feel that way uh, as somebody who has sat through these, not as a joint finance committee member, but, you know, as a host legislator, um, you know, body language says everything. And if you see a bunch of lawmakers up there who, look like they couldn't care less it, it only further tarnishes the the process and that's unfortunate because yeah we we know that there are many services there are many people asking for state funding to go this way or that way and instead uh i spoke earlier uh, this evening with evan goike uh, legislator from milwaukee who's on the committee and you know he he certainly expressed this wish that there were more uh, of these hearings even the virtual one that was held on wednesday uh, because what's going to happen now is the committee is just going to meet on its own, and it's going to review individual agency budgets. And unfortunately, I'm only going to tease this now. It's something we'll, we'll see in the coming weeks. You'll see this um, tug of war involving whether the Republicans on the committee are going to basically slash the budget to the same amount of federal funds that are coming in from the American Rescue Plan, the economic stimulus bill. And that's a shame because it reminds me of nothing else but the way that the legislature uh, just frittered away the tobacco settlement money uh, and could have been used for something good. It wasn't, uh, but we appreciate everybody that showed up in Rhinelander to testify about what they need. Uh, We'll have more coming up with attorney Chris Bremer next. You're up North. The Up North podcast is a group endeavor of the individuals who are yapping at you right now. And that's our cue to talk about our day jobs. Uh, Kristen Bry will tell you about Asgos, Wisconsin in a sec. And Kirk Bangstead will talk about the Manaqua Brewing Company momentarily as well. I'm Pat Kreitlow. I'm the managing editor of an entirely separate entity from this podcast, coincidentally and very conveniently called Up North News. Uh, We're a no nonsense digital newsroom that tells you all about how today's headlines impact Wisconsin families and the things we value about living up here. Up North News explains in plain English how people in Madison and Washington are making decisions that help or hurt our hometowns, what's working and what's not, who's working and who's not. We live to expose misinformation and we tell the stories of people, places, and happenings that make this state the very best state. If we do say so ourselves, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for Up North News WI. Don't forget the WI or our website, upnorthnewswi.com. Kristen.
3: I am Kristen Bry, creator of Asgos Wisconsin, which is a daily series of social media videos that combines All things Wisconsin, whether it be history, sports, or politics, and breaks it down with a comedic twist in videos that are let or in videos that are sixty seconds or less. Uh, Just today, I documented, as I said earlier, the side effects I got from my second dose of Moderna,
1: and looking good in the process, I might add. Well,
3: you know, no makeup. (laughs) I really exposed myself there. I was really brave, as they like to say. Uh, And then, or and next week, I'm going to be talking about uh, what your municipal clerk actually does and why you should thank them, and. I have some uh trivia on co- some conference conservation trivia to take a stab at uh whether you find yourself checking facebook or instagram twitter or TikTok the most you can find me at any of those platforms at as goes wisconsin
2: mr bankston thank you sir uh i just wanted to give a little update on the brewing company monaco brewing company we started to convince stores all over Wisconsin to start carrying progressive beer. And that's not only good for us, but it's I think it's also good for Wisconsin. And this is why. The more people that see and celebrate our president and vice president, President Biden, president, uh, Vice President Harris, with Biden beer and Kamala beer, the more it will seem that those who said our election was rigged are nothing more than conspiracy theorists. The more people who see, fa- who see fair maps IPA in a beer can, the more people will be tuned in to the evils of gerrymandering. And the more people who see bernie brew in stores the more people will know what democratic socialism is all about and how it's not a bad word it's actually a form of government used in finland norway sweden that their standard of living happens to be better than americans so i'm if you of course we donate five percent of all of our profits to our super PAC, which we're spending on radio ads, billboards, voter outreach, con- uh, convincing Northwoods voters to help make our politics as clean as our lakes and streams. So if you'd like to support this effort, please buy our beer, buy our t-shirts, or donate straight to the super PAC. You can find out how
1: to do all that stuff at monacoabrewingcompany.com. We also want to thank Devil Radio, News Talk 92.7, where we air live on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And the Up North podcast is made possible by Sightcast, a leading nationally recognized website solutions firm based in the Northwoods of Wisconsin, because, hey, nerds live up north, too. Now, welcome back to the Up North podcast. I'm Pat Kreitlow, along with Kristen Bry and Kirk Bangstead, and it's a... Uh, Time to talk about what life is going to look like when the coronavirus pandemic eventually fades and life returns to something that is uh, almost normal again. So I'm going to hit a button, open up a camera over here, and uh, let's see if we can bring in our guest, attorney Chris Bremer, uh, who's joining us by Zoom here. There she is now. uh, Looking looking for all intents and purposes, like she's in Merrill, not on lack of flambeau, but uh, up Chris, north. Chris up nice north. <laughs> nice to have you here. Thank you for being part of the up north podcast.
0: Thank you for having me. I love it. Hey, By the way, gonna...
2: Pat, before you go on, I just want to thank Chris for, for coming on the show. Chris has been done so much for the state of Wisconsin, and she's been a real mentor to me in politics. And, um, and thank you so much. It's great to see you, Chris. I'm, I'm so happy you're on the show tonight.
0: Thank you. It's always good to see you. Kurt, a lot of laughs, always. And, <laughs> no. and Kristen, Kristen, I'm so impressed with as Was, as goes Wisconsin. It's just an amazing thing. And, oh, thank and you. Of course, Pat Kreitlow has been a hero of mine for a long, long time. So Great to be here
1: with friends i have no idea how to react to that so i'm, I'm gonna move no. on before before he's blush. blushing there he's we go. Blushing. hey we were gonna we were gonna talk to chris in our second half hour about um you know the the way that we go about filling judicial uh, vacancies and how we make judgeships a little less political but since we were going to talk about uh, proof of vaccination in this block we asked chris to join us a little bit earlier in the uh, quick three minutes that we have here to talk a little bit about something that's all the rage right now. Folks refer to it as a vaccine passport uh, and whether they should be encouraged or banned. It just seems to me vaccine passports become one of those loaded politicized terms. And so let's just call it what it is, proof of vaccination. And the question is simple here. Is there value in providing proof of vaccination in certain circumstances? And the answer is, are you kidding me? Of course it is. But the law is actually a little vague about this, at least in terms of what federal law says. But how state law could go either way to basically, you know, circumvent federal law. Chris, tell tell us a bit more about what what exactly that means.
0: Well, under federal law, um, you know, proof of vaccination can be really important. I mean, I wanted to go visit a friend in a nursing home. They wouldn't let me in until I showed him my CDC card, and I got in. So it was it was great. But you know, there are ethical considerations to this, um, not so much legal right now, but ethical. And the ethics of it is certain people have not been able to get a vaccination. Um, and so now it's much more wide open and more people can get it. But until you knew that you could get one, it was not really, it's really an ethical and moral question. Can you require a vaccination card when not everybody could get a vaccination? So. Under the federal law, you should know that absolutely, if you are an employer um, and uh, you're under the ADA, which means you have 15 employees, you know, you can require um, proof of vaccination.
1: This has been around for hundred years. It it dates back to yellow fever.
0: Absolutely. And as long as you are not discriminating on the basis of disability or religion, um, you can require a vaccination card. So um, you know, it's it's state law that's going to take it out from us. Um, there is a bill right now pending in our state legislature that says that you cannot require a vaccination or proof of vaccination in Wisconsin. I believe our wise governor, who's governed by science and goodwill for our people, will veto this bill if it actually comes to a vote. But it is pending.
1: Yeah it is and it, it again it seems like the the pro virus crowd because I don't know how else to set this up is looking to set up some more super spreader events because there have been so many of them and and so to remove that possibility especially when that vaccine is now fairly available there's there's now greater demand than supply tells me that we've we've got to work on on that end of things and we're going to talk more about it right after this break and then talk about judicial vacancies as well thanks for being here at the cabin you are up north we'll be right back Welcome back to the Up North Podcast. I'm Pat Kreitlow on Lake Wasota. Kristen Bry is along Lake Michigan. Kirk Bangstead comes to us from Lake Banakwa and our guest uh, this week coming from Lac de Flambeau and uh, attorney's offices in many cities, too many for me to remember is Christine Bremer. Um, Chris, let's, let's start that first. Uh, t- tell us where, where folks can find your law offices.
0: Well, they can find me online, of course, Bremer and Trollope, but um, I'm an Up North lawyer. We have offices in Marshfield. Um, Antigo, Stevens Point, Monaca, and Wausau. So we I spend were talk- my time in Manacqua these days.
1: Exactly right, and we we were uh, we're going to talk about uh, uh, judicial appointments in a in a moment here in the state, but we want to finish up our discussion on requiring proof of COVID vaccinations. We talked about it from an employer standpoint before the break. Uh, Kristen was wondering about you know how this deals with you know customers and even fans.
3: Well, yeah, because so I. I because I think one of the things that like the, the leg up that lawyers have on all of us regular folk is that you actually know what is legal and what is what is not. And and so I think it's the nuances, especially as you just said, federal law versus state law and what, it's even municipal law, right, of what what are companies allowed to do? And I think when we talk about carrots and sticks in when it comes to vaccinations, there's on one side the, the carrots of. We're going to give you a subsidy, or we're going to give you a hundred dollar bond, or whatever. But then there's also the stick of a lot of airline companies potentially a summer fest, you know, the Wisconsin State Fair, or any of these things where not only do you have to have a ticket to buy to get in, but what is the legality around them as a company saying you also have to be vaccinated?
0: Well, that's a great question. And you know, it goes to so many issues of morals and ethics and business um, acumen. But really, it comes down to the federal law right now is what governs because there is no state law that prohibits it. But you can just you can say because this is an issue of public health and a public health emergency, um, they can limit people to come into their place because it might affect others. By saying you cannot come in unless you're vaccinated and an employer can give incentives to their employees they can give them gift cards they can give them free gas whatever they want to give them to get vaccinated i mean it's it's really important now think of it as an employer and i am one and kurt and maybe you all are but you know you have to protect your other employees if you know someone is coming into your office who's mingling and doing all kinds of things that are unsafe and putting at risk the other people in your office or in your bus- place of business who might have health issues, you, know, you have a moral obligation to protect your employees and that is recognized under federal law. So you know, when we've got our state legislators who are going out and saying things like, we're gonna pass a bill that says you can't require a vaccination and you can't require someone to have proof of it, they're not bringing that bill forward to the governor because they know our governor is not gonna be in favor of such a thing. His job is to protect the people of Wisconsin. Yeah, and so and, we got to be careful.
2: And Chris, like, th- from from a businessman's perspective, it's like a complete shot in the heart of actually getting our economy back. Like every bit, it's gonna happen. Every business that needs to have groups of people go to their business, like restaurants, bars, arenas, rock stadiums, they're gonna do this. They're gonna have a proof of vaccine, or else nobody's gonna go. Nobody's gonna go to huge rock concerts if. If they're not vaccinated, if they don't know that they're going to be safe. So our economy cannot get back to where it needs to be until we actually require proof of vaccination so we can congregate again.
0: It's really true. I was in a restaurant, I was in three restaurants up north this weekend. I walked out of two Hmm. because we went in with masks and all of us in my group, the four of us were vaccinated, double vaccinated. But when we walked into the bars in these places and Kurt would know them well, they were packed with young people who were not wearing masks. And we, although we were personally protected, we didn't feel comfortable going in. We left and we saw others coming up to the door, looking in and leaving. I mean, you know, they've got to start recognizing that people just, even if they're vaccinated, you're not going to go into a restaurant, especially now with the new CDC guidelines. You're not going to go and eat indoors, even if vaccinated, because you can still get it.
1: Chris, let's turn to the Judicial Selection Advisory Committee that you're a part of and why we have one of those things. Is, is it something that's always been around? Uh, was it around during the, the Walker administration or is this a more something from the Evers administration? You know, what, what's the point of it and what is it that you hope to uh, accomplish by having this group that helps vet judicial candidates?
0: Well, that's a great question, Pat, and I'm so proud to uh, be on the committee and be the co-chair of it for Governor Evers. I served on the same committee for Governor Doyle, and um, I also served on the federal nominating committee. Um, so I've been very lucky to have this kind of great service under my under my wing. And so um, when Governor Doyle, or Governor Evers, rather was elected. Um, I asked if there was some way I could help and I volunteered to be on this committee. And the committee is, is called the Judicial Selection Advisory Committee because our role is to advise the governor and help the governor when he is fulfilling his constitutional duty to fill judicial vacancies. So for instance, if a person who is a judge decides to retire there's a vacancy, They're not. it's gonna be open until the next seat. We can't have a judicial vacancy because we have too much work in our judiciary. So the governor is obligated by law to fulfill those vacancies. As Governor Doyle did and Governor Walker did, um, governor uh, put forward a committee of individuals to come forward with selection, with advice to him as to who he should pick. And the beauty of what Governor Doyle or what Governor Evers has done is he has picked lawyers from all over the state of Wisconsin. And so there are trial lawyers, great trial lawyers, some of the best in the state, 15 lawyers are on our committee. And what we do is um, we know the communities from which we come. The governor might have a vacancy in Fond du Lac or out of or up, you know, up north. Um, and what we do is we put out an app, a, a call for applications. Um, a person must fill out a 40 page application. It's a very Very difficult application. And then um, bring it forward and we review those applications and people come in and we interview them. So it's a very strict process and um, we're looking for people who reflect the communities from which they come. Now, what's really interesting and what people need to know is when Governor Walker had this process, he um, had a very few people on his committee. There were maybe three or four as we have 15 All those interviews had to do is make certain that they they met the standards for the Federalist Society, and they would get pushed through.
1: And for folks who aren't familiar with the Federalist Society, let's just say that this was, it would be right up there with just plucking a Fox News anchor out and, and putting them on the bench.
0: Exactly, exactly. It had to have a certain mindset about what government should do and shouldn't do. Small government, you know. Um, and so, what, what we do isn't anything like that. What we do is we look at their whole person, their background, their family, every job they've ever had, every person, every, every office they've ever held, everything that they've been involved in their communities. They have to give us writing samples, they have to give us letters from individuals who support them and references. Um, it's, it's a very time consuming process. Since I've been on this committee, we've interviewed over 150 people. And the governor has filled 32 vacancies, which is a huge amount in three years. Or it's two and a half years, really. Governor Governor Walker, in his whole term, filled 72, and they were of those, they were two African Americans, and they were all mostly white males. He had 15 white females. Um, in our term, um, Governor Doyle or Governor Walker. I'm sorry. There are too many governors. Governor <laughs> Evers. Um, Governor Evers has um, filled 32, five African American women, three African American men, one Asian woman, a disabled man, the first disabled person to ever serve in our courts, the first woman to ever serve in Portage County in judge. Um, you know, nine white um, women, eight white men, and one Hispanic man. So white men are are calling, complaining that they're not getting on, and I'm saying, you know what? It's just not your time.
1: <laughs> oh God, to tell me that no, nobody's actually whining as, like as that. As you say to oh, the yeah.
3: two white oh. men that yeah, yeah, <laughs> I host this with.
1: they are whining. The, hey, whining. It's, it's not our time either. That's why we're podcasting and not the the, the diversity <laughs> the of this does speak to another matter, though, Chris. And that is, and it's it's not entirely unrelated to the topic at hand here. But when you talk about the comparison between the judges that Governor Evers has appointed versus Governor Walker, I immediately think of the power of the pardon. And that Governor Evers has pardoned dozens and dozens of people. Governor Walker, uh, who loved to wear his Christianity on his sleeve, didn't pardon a single one, uh, so much for the power of forgiveness. And if you read the stories, of these people who Governor Evers has pardoned. You see that these are people who have paid their debt to society, but without that pardon, they can't go get say a professional license to further their career and such. So Chris, while it, again, there's a little bit of apples and oranges here. I would like to assume that the, the, the diversity and the qualifications you're talking about in judgeships may lead down the road to fewer people needing to be pardoned because you might address some of the systemic racism that's been a part of America's judicial system for its history.
0: That's an excellent point, Pat. Um, One thing people don't realize that mass incarceration of African American men, um, in terms of statistics, Wisconsin is number one, number one in the country. We have more African American men incarcerated in Wisconsin than anywhere else. Now think of that. So Governor Evers wants diversity so that the judges look like the community from which they come and that the people that stand in front of them are people that they can relate to. And this is this is a huge sea change. And these people that we're appointing are brilliant lawyers. You know, we're getting forward people who would never would have applied with Governor Walker because they wouldn't have a chance. But when you get a man who's disabled, you get an Asian woman from Fond du Lac. You get um, people from all over the con- all over our state that are coming forward. Just brilliant lawyers. We are so honored to bring them forward to the governor, and, and he has been delighted with the selection so far.
3: Yeah, I just I, mean, I don't even have a question to follow up on that, but I think just to, to comment on what you said, I think there's so much of empathy and. Um, understanding of the circumstances that people come from when giving out sentences, sentencing. And I forgot, I'm going to screw up the statistic, but it was earlier this year. It was like January this year where the Supreme court tried, the Wisconsin Supreme court tried to hide the fact, the study that was come out of for the same crimes, the amount of black Wisconsinites who were Mm -hmm. sentenced more harshly than white Wisconsinites for the exact same crime. And there is multiple psych- like psychological studies as far as our ability to um, empathize with people who look like us and our inability to do it as well with people who don't look like us. And I think that is so not understood of why this is why diversity matters. And this is why you can't be quote unquote colorblind and that's not the fix to racism because you actually have to understand people's circumstances and their experience from where they come from to give full context to their crime, to their life path, etc. And if it's everyone who's making the decisions is white, they're not gonna have a lot of understanding for people who haven't had the same experience as them. So that's not a question that's just well me put. no, it's actually well <laughs> put.
0: And that's been some of the comments from the judges whom we have appointed that they know, we appointed one woman who is um, an immigrant from um, from Central America. And she said, you know, when, when little um, Hispanic children even come into our courtroom that have issues to be determined and they see a woman that looks like them, how much more confidence they have in the system. And so it's it's an amazing feeling.
1: Well, it, it just gets a system that works. And, and again, yes, it opens up the whole political uh, showboating that you know we have lived through about how you know well there they go opening up the doors and letting all the you know all, it's it's the Willie Horton ad all over again. Well look that's that's always going to be with us because ugly politics is going to be with us. That doesn't take away the need to do the right thing and then to point out that people do serve the penalties when they commit crimes that uh, but if you work with restorative justice, and a balanced judicial system then you you get justice for all which is how it's supposed to work chris bremer so good to talk to you thanks thank for being you. a guest here hope you'll uh, join wonderful. us again real soon thank you so much Take oh care. hey it's our pleasure and uh, next time uh actually when we get to the point of, of doing live shows uh, all together uh we're volunteering your place so we'll <laughs> yes be-
3: yes let's do the show which Chris lake is on yeah. which which lake will we have to be out of we'll, we're gonna
2: fence lake.
1: we're gonna to right let's do it let's do it in, in
2: this let's do it in the sauna
1: <laughs> great. Look, he's, ruining, he's ruining the equipment already great when we come back uh let's let's uh let's do a let's do a game che- cheese heads or chuckle heads when we come back you're up north
2: Welcome back to the Up North Podcast. I'm Kirk Bankstead, and
1: along with me are Pat Kreitlow and Kristen Bry. And this time around, I I think we're going to come up with a proper name for the segment eventually, but what came to mind is uh, these are just some folks that have made the news for all the wrong reasons. Some are from Wisconsin, some are not. So we're just going to call it for now, Cheeseheads and Chuckleheads, uh, (laughs) you know, one, both, all of the above or none of the above. We're going to start with um, legislation that... Your Wisconsin lawmakers are taking up not pandemic safeguards, uh, not vaccine passports, not even the state budget quite yet, but the Star Spangled Banner Act. Uh, And that is because uh, State Senator Pat Teston, Republican of Stevens Point, has introduced a bill that would require the national anthem to play prior to sporting events in venues that have received taxpayer funding. That would, of course, include Lambeau Field, American Family Field, Pfizer Forum. Uh, Teston said, "Here, I feel like we should have, the, I, I didn't have the music ready in the background. Oh, here. that would have been good. You know, so Hearing the Star Spangled Banner at a sporting event. You know whose voice this should be in? Sam the Eagle from The Muppet Show. Hearing the Star Spangled <laughs> Banner at a sporting event reminds us that despite our differences, we have something in common. We are Americans. This tradition traces its roots back more than a century, even predating the song's adoption as the national anthem, even predating professional sports with crowds and arenas. It's a practice that unites us. Sure. Ask Colin Kaepernick how well that worked out for him. This is what we're, this is what we're working on in Madison right now is to, you have to play a song because it makes, you know.
3: But again, isn't this, is this just a bill with no problem? Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like all of the sporting events that this would apply to, they already do play the
1: national anthem. I, I rank it up there. To remember the, well, this was decades ago when they talked about prayer in schools and, and outline prayer in schools, nobody outlawed prayer. You can say a prayer anytime you want when that, when that pop quiz is handed out. And if somebody wants to sing the star spangled banner, they can stand up and do it all they want. Uh, but you know, again, the folks that don't like government intrusion are suddenly really good with government intrusion when it comes to telling you what kind of, well, music you have to play in your PA system
2: isn't isn't this all about the so didn't the Dallas Mavericks like Mark Cuban decide that they weren't going to play the national anthem before yeah, th- that's where it came from Mark team.
1: Cuban saying Look, oh, let's not- oh and man. so
2: because it causes because you know for a lot of professional black players it's it's like now become such a such a distracting thing you know because yes they should kneel they should you know join hands, you know, but they, I mean, it's like, it's like, it's distracting for professional sports to even have this thing. And so the Mavericks were like, you know what, we're just not going to have this national anthem before. And that'll kind of get rid of this back and forth. It just kind of puts it under the table and it's their every right for them to do that. And so that's the kind of, so I think the initial law or the thing was like the, in Texas, but but then it's like now it's like what we talked about last week, like model legislation, like you introduced, Kristen. It's like now some group is saying, okay, some senator in every state has got to introduce this crazy star-spangled banner legislation that has nothing to do with helping the state of Wisconsin. Well, and it at doesn't all.
1: get it doesn't get to the root cause here, and the reason it's become a distraction is because of a legitimate protest against police violence, no different than the legitimate protest made by those Olympic athletes doing the Black Power salute in 1968. That kind of dissent is the height of patriotism. If you don't like it, talk about the root event, but to mandate the national anthem be played uh, is not going to help anything along those lines. It's a very unhelpful state legislator, no different than the next state legislator we're going to talk about, one Laura Reinbold, and you don't know her name because she's not a Wisconsin state senator. She's an Alaska state senator. She has to fly to uh, to Juneau because uh, of where she is in the Anchorage area. It's Alaska. You need a plane to get there. So what has she been doing on these flights from her home to the state capitol? She's been asked to wear a face mask. She calls the uh, flight attendants on American Airlines mask bullies. She's on video clashing with the airline employees about wearing the mask. So the, the, the business, and again, these are folks that love to say, "Let let businesses decide." This business has said, "Fine, you're done, Senator Reinbold. You are banned from Alaska Airlines." I'm sorry, I said American Airlines before. Alaska Airlines says, "Nope, you don't you don't get to fly with us anymore." She now has to drive 14 hours. And uh, including going to um, Canada to then get on a ferry, all because she wanted to abuse airline employees who were simply doing their job of trying to keep her safe. So it's it's not just Wisconsin or Washington that has a premium on legislators behaving badly.
3: Oh, no. I mean I feel like we can find every single state, plus Puerto Rico, plus D.C., plus uh, America, Samoa,
2: we could probably find... <laughs> People who do i want to find the worst things. lawmaker on
1: american samoa because no, you know there's probably, one
2: come on but we've there's a name for it though like one state's got it better than wisconsin it's like florida man like that's there's actually like a meme for the crazy oh, things no. that happen if you, in florida if you
3: type in your birthday and florida man like florida man june 18th <laughs> something will pop up that mm-hmm. says florida
1: man does XYZ. Yep. <laughs> I, I did that once. I can't remember what it came up with, but it was it was just too embarrassing for me to even share because that's <laughs> that's what they do. But you know, you can't talk about the the the, the Florida man of Wisconsin politics without talking about Glenn Grothman. And yes. yeah, it, we've already brought up how he made racially insensitive remarks and had to respond to them while wearing a funny little St. Patrick's Day hat. Now he's taken it a step further and was criticizing uh, rapper Cardi B for her recent performance. Kristen, I I can't.
3: No, it wasn't that, it said he, on the floor of Congress, he said that constituents were calling his office complaining about Cardi B's performance-
1: Of course they were.
3: At the Grammys. Uh And I just want to see the receipts. Like, I'm just looking for the receipts of who in their right mind, the first thing they think of when they see an offensive, like, how many, like, everyone was up in arms after j Lo and Shakira, like, shook it a little too hard at the Super Bowl last year, and were very upset about it. Like, you really think their first thought was like, I'm going to call my congressman. i like, Glenn <laughs> Grothman. What? No one's calling Glenn Grothman to complain about Cardi B. He just somehow thought that it was an appropriate thing to bring up.
1: I like this congressman. <laughs> the challenge is down. Kristen has, has put the challenge down, and we want to see the receipts. Who's been calling up? to complain about Cardi B to you (laughs) and with that and again growthman said that that her performance was inconsistent with basic decency I got some words for the congressman about what's inconsistent with basic decency but we don't have time to talk about insurrections right now our email info at upnorthpodcast.com thanks for joining us at the cabin for Kristen Brian Kirk Bankstead I'm Pat Crichtlow